Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, um, wow. I was like, sorry, what? The books? We have to do the intro. Oh, I see. I understand what is happening. <laughs> Give me <him> this. <laughs> Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, a very serious podcast about books. Wow. All right. <laughs> Fun times. How you doing, Jill? <laughs> I am great. How are you? I'm also great. I'm fantastic, fabulous, wonderful. All the all the wonderful things. Um what are we what what are we doing today? What are we doing today, Joe? What's happening? Today, today instead of talking about books we have read, we're talking about books we haven't but would like to. So we're talking about our TBR piles. Yeah, listen, folks, he takes an aggressive tone. We've been providing you new books at your TBR list for years. So now you're gonna listen to our TBR list. We're gonna tell you the books we haven't read yet. <laughs> um, so just a heads up on this. I'm assuming you're going to do much the same. Uh, I'm going to be reading the descriptions of these books as opposed to telling you my own thoughts because I haven't read them yet. So accurate. That is accurate. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I'm taking this aggressive tone everybody. Um, so yeah, we're going to just do, we always do go back and forth. We're going to talk about books that we haven't read yet that we're very excited to. Um, but before we do that, there, I, I know we have some things to discuss. So first, Big Library Read kicked off this week. And if you are somewhat new to our podcast and aren't using Overdrive uh, and the Libby app, first off, what are you doing? You're crazy. Come on. But more importantly, Big Library Read is our digital book club. Uh, it's a global book club that takes place like three or four times a year. And now through June 12th, you can borrow The Quiet Girl by S.F. Kosa uh, without any waitlist or holds on the Libby app. Uh, it'll be for most, li- there's like, like 20,000 libraries, I think, participate. And it should be like front and center. And when you first open it, it'll be the first thing you see. Uh, and then you can borrow it, enjoy the book. It is a psychological thriller. And then you can go to biglibrary.com and you can join our global discussion board, have a conversation with people all around the world that are reading the book. And you can sign up for the live interview that Jill and I are doing with the author on July 7th. Um, that is at noon Eastern time. So you can do all that at biglibraryread.com. That's what's going on there. And also Jill's on TikTok. <laughs> I am on TikTok. Um, yeah, so Pro Book Nerds well, and myself, but Pro Book Nerds is on TikTok at Pro Book Nerds, which is the same handle as our Twitter and Instagram at Pro Book Nerds. Our website is professionalbooknerds.com. You mm-hmm. can email us at overdrive 
nope professional book nerds <laughs> you sure can Yikes. you sure sure can um okay so we're gonna go back and forth talking about our to be read lists uh i will start because i have one more that yes. i didn't want to get rid of the list that i had so um most of mine are relatively new but this one is not this one came out in 2013 and every single time around or every single year around this time of year i'm like i'm gonna read this in the fall I never have. It's called Six Women of Salem by Marilyn K. Roach. And I know for a fact I've talked about it in the past because I feel like every time fall rolls around, I'm like, here's a great recommendation if you want a nonfiction book perfect for the fall. And then I don't read it. So (laughs) I'm going to this year. Marilyn K. Roach is a historian, not to be confused with Mary Roach, I believe is the other. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So Six Women of Salem is the first book, the first work to use the lives of a select number of representative women as a microcosm to eliminate the larger crises of the Salem witch trials. By the end of the trials, beyond the 20 who are executed and the five who perish in prison, 207 individuals had been accused, 74 had been quote unquote afflicted, 32 had officially accused their fellow neighbors, and 255 ordinary people had been inexorably drawn into the ruinous and murderous vortex. And this doesn't include the religious, judicial, and governmental leaders. All this adds up to what Reverend Cotton Mather called a desolation of names. This book goes through six different specific women and breaks down what happened with them, what happened in their trials, um, examines their lives, and just basically what was happening to them. And it dispels a lot of the rumors that people think about the Salem Witch Trials and also provides some more accurate um, information on things that people might notice a little bit about. So again, like I have a copy of this book. I've had a copy of this book, I think for like six years and I keep meaning to read it and I'm going to this year. So that's Six Women of Salem by Marilyn K. Roach. What is your first one? Um, Well, just as like a fun fact regarding, you know, like breaking myths about the Salem witch trials, no women were burned. Like they weren't burned at the stake. The witches were hung except for the one guy who had a bunch of stones put on him whose name i can't remember that's a whole other thing though okay um my first one is uh cultish by amanda montel so okay admittedly i read like a chapter of this last night so but it's not finished so i'm, I'm keeping it on my tbr list yeah um so this is the cultish the language of fanaticism and amanda is a linguist i believe and so she um, has sort of looking at um, cults of and how our understanding of what makes a cult has changed over um, the decades. So that includes, you know, Jonestown and the Branch Davidians, but then um, also things like Scientology and Soul Cycle and MLMs and <laughs> um, and how language um cult language or or language that we would sort of associate with cults um it it, it sort of becomes mainstream a little bit she has a lot of just in the first chapter she has a lot of great research from people who research cults which of course there are people who research cults Mm -hmm. that didn't occur to me (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but i'm i'm really excited for this one um looking at cults from like a linguistic and social science kind of way. Um, 
Yeah. So that's cultish. And she says, she explains the title comes from specifically the language portion. Like we have Spanish, we have English, and now we have cultish. Mm-hmm. So it really is about kind of the, the language that can happen. And I mean, like it happens in all sorts of things. Like she mentioned soul cycle. I don't do soul cycle, but I've done Peloton. I've done other spinning and there's definitely a language and vernacular to that, that it like lends itself to this weird idea about it's, it's a little bit like a cult. Like I could mm-hmm. see how that could happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would agree. I would, and I will leave it at that. I would agree. <laughs> um, my next one is The Hollow Places by T. King Fisher. So this is one we definitely previewed for last fall, for October of last year. And this happens, I, I know to both of us, not to speak for both of us, but I know that this happens. When Jill and I preview books for upcoming months, a lot of times we haven't read some of the books and we have read some of the others, especially if they're like author interview coming up or anything. But when we do our book previews that everyone loves, we find these books, we both get excited about them. And then for one reason or another, just like everyone else's TBR list, we just don't get to them. And this is one that like when I re when I went back and looked at all the books we'd recommended over the, the past like six or seven months at this point, actually a little bit further back, I was like, how did I not read this one? Because it's so strikingly a book that I would want to read. So um, this is about Kara. Kara finds um, the specific words, pray they are hungry in a mysterious bunker that she's discovered behind a hole in the wall of her uncle's home. Freshly divorced and living back at home, Kara now becomes obsessed with these cryptic words and starts exploring the peculiar bunker, bunker only to discover that it holds portals to countless alternate realities. But these places are haunted by creatures that seem to hear thoughts. And the more you fear them, the stronger they become. With her distinctive, delightfully fresh and subversive prose and the strange, sinister wonder found in Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth, The Hollow Places is another compelling and white-knuckled horror novel that you won't be able to put down. That's The Hollow Places by T. King Fisher. Um, my next one is Luster by Raven Lalani, which I undoubtedly have mentioned before because before it came out last summer, it was getting a lot of buzz. Still does to this day, like a year later. Um, so Edie is stumbling her way through her 20s, sharing a subpar apartment in Bushwick, clocking in and out of her admin job, making a series of inappropriate sexual choices. She's also hauntingly, fitfully giving heat and air to the art that simmers inside her. And then she meets Eric, a digital archivist with a family in New Jersey, including an autopist wife who's agreed to an open marriage with rules. As if navigating the constantly shifting landscape of contemporary sexual manners and racial politics were hard enough, Edie finds herself unemployed and invited into Eric's home, though not by Eric. She becomes a hesitant ally to his wife and a de facto role model to his adopted daughter. Edie may be the only black young, the only black woman young Akila knows. And um, this just sounds so good. The cover is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It is gorgeous. <laughs> and I've, I've had a copy for um, a couple months now. And every time I look at it, I'm like, you're such a pretty cover and you have so many good reviews and lots of people who's like taste in books I trust and yet you have not been read yet so <laughs> that's luster did you did you get it from your literati from your book I did okay I was gonna say so I, I did too because it was um this isn't oh yeah a, <laughs> this isn't a sponsored episode but literati is one of our frequent sponsors and they're currently sponsoring episodes not this particular one but anyway 
Um, yeah, it came in my first literati book club box that they sent us. And same you, thing, I remember being like, ooh. Do you have the second book? I do. Okay. I don't have it on my list. It's oh, it's on, on my list. list. Okay. Okay. Mine did not get changed. Um, this gotcha. is all stuff you all don't need to know. Yeah. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but if you get, again, not a sponsorship for this particular episode, but um, literati.com slash book nerds, I think is our free promo if you want to check it out. But yeah, when Luster came, same thing. I was like, oh, look at this cover. It's so shiny and pretty. Uh, yeah. And it seems amazing. Um, okay. My next one is called Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. Again, this one came out a couple years ago. And it has a cover. If you look it up, you probably will immediately recognize it because it is um, one of those covers that I just remember everyone being like, oh, wow, that's wild. It's like a um, uh, it's like a cartoon drawing of a child wearing like short red shorts and the top of them is on fire. Um, but it's like a cartoon, like a, it almost looks like a Looney Tunes style drawing. Um, so this is... Um, again, it's, by, it's written by Kevin Wilson from the New York Times bestselling author of The Family Thing, a moving and uproarious novel about a woman who finds the meaning of her life in which she begins caring for two children with a remarkable ability. Lillian and Madison were unlikely roommates and yet inseparable friends at their elite boarding school, but then Lillian had to leave the school unexpectedly in the wake of a scandal and they've barely been uh, and they've barely spoken since. Until now, Lillian gets a letter from Madison pleading for her help. Madison's twin stepkids are moving in with her family and she wants Lillian to be their caretaker. However, there's a catch. The twins spontaneously combust when they get agitated, flames igniting from their skin in a startling but beautiful way. Lillian is convinced Madison is pulling her leg, but it's the truth. Thinking of her dead end life at home, that life that uh, the life that has consistently disappointed her, Lillian figures that she has nothing to lose. Over the course of one humid, demanding summer, Lillian and the twins learn to trust each other and stay cool while also staying out of the way of Madison's buttoned up politician husband. Again, this is, I think, yeah, this was um, one of the Today Show book club picks. um, And I just, but like the cover is one when you see it. Again, nothing to see here by Kevin Wilson. When you see it, you'll be like, oh yeah, that book. And so, yeah, I'm excited to finally read this. What's your next one? Oh yeah, that book. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's uh... one of those covers where like, because it was, it's both apparently a very good book and it was really popular, it kept popping up and it's definitely one of those covers. And we've talked about this in the past where book covers tend to follow like, Themat- like themes depending on who's written them what style they are and all these things and this one for one reason or another like it just doesn't look like any other book cover it's yeah. it just jumps out yeah. um okay my next one is girly drinks by our good friend Mallory O'Meara hi Mallory oh yeah, oh, yeah. um so Mallory um has written a book about women and drinking and um I mean, you read it. You, you can probably talk more about this. Yeah, but I was still going to let you read the the, in, the preview. Okay. Of it, but I, yeah. will, all I will tell you guys is that it's so freaking good. And I'm just so like, there's one of the, every chapter I read, I was just like, I'm so glad we know Mallory. It's just delightful. Well, yeah. So like the opening of the description is strawberry daiquiri, skinny martinis, vodka sodas with lime. These are the cocktails that come in sleek stemmed glasses, bright colors, and fruity flavors. These are the girly drinks. Um. And then the book sort of goes into how alcohols become this sort of center of social rituals and cultures, but there's this sort of like weird delineation between what types, 
like alcohol sort of like gendered in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I love me a good cosmopolitan. I'm of the sex in the city era. So I love me a good cosmopolitan, but if you'd go out drinking with me now and mortaring in Manhattan, like give me the bourbon, I don't care. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited, especially because she looks at sort of the history of drinking. Um, and that is not really the man ever considered other than like prohibition I don't really know what else you're gonna love this so much it's just like there's so much in like and Mallory breaks down like all like liquor and alcohol you're familiar with and stuff that you're not um but like the creation of very popular like champagnes even today like Vouv Vouv however it's pronounced like like all of these I don't know it's just so great uh Mallory talks about like specific distilleries that are run by women and oh, you're gonna love it so much I was laughing because there's like a specific part about cosmopolitans and manhattans and like I'm just like you're gonna you're just gonna love this book so much ah, that's so good all right was there more in the description I don't want to like cut you off I'm sorry I mean there is but no I'm good okay also as I told Mallory because she was I don't even know if you saw um last week when you weren't or two weeks ago when you weren't able to be on the podcast I couldn't find anyone at the office so I literally texted Mallory in the morning I was like can you do the podcast and she was like she was sleeping and she's like sorry yeah absolutely and she came out like three hours later um so as if anyone listened to that episode you'll know she'll I told her she will be coming out with both of us in October to talk about oh yeah oh yeah um okay my next one is Madam by Phoebe Wynn a book that we have talked about multiple times on the podcast, but I think we deleted at least one or two mentions because we had a long conversation, Jill and I, off the podcast, where we couldn't remember what the hell was going on with this book. It's because we were pitched it to do an author interview, and then we thought we might, and then neither of us did, and then we couldn't remember because we interviewed so many people. <laughs> but this is I, this is like a very good crossover between a Jill and an Adam book. So there is a school called Calden Bray Hall. And for 150 years, high above rocky Scottish cliffs, Caldenbray Hall has sat untouched, a beacon of excellence in an old ancestral castle. A boarding school for girls, it promises that the young women lucky enough to be admitted will emerge resilient and ready to serve society. Into its illustrious midst steps Rose Christie, a 26-year-old classics teacher, Caldenbray's new head of the department and the first hire of the school in over a decade. At first, Rose is overwhelmed to be invited into this institution whose prestige is unrivaled, but she quickly discovers that behind the school's elitist veneer lies an impenetrable, starkly traditional culture that she struggles to reconcile with her modernistic beliefs, not to mention her commitment to educating girls for the future. It also doesn't take long for Rose to suspect that there's more to the secret circumstances surrounding the abrupt departure of her predecessor, a woman whose ghost lingers everywhere than anyone is willing to let on. Again, I feel like I keep seeing this and being like, oh, right. And I have a copy of it like directly behind me. So I'm going to read this. I have a big spooky list of for myself already for the fall. So I'm ready. So that's Madam by Phoebe Wynn. I mean, it's almost July. So it's basically fall. Basically fall. (laughs) Um, My next one is Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. So this is about, it's sort of like a reimagining of, um, Shakespeare's son Hamnet who died when he was about 11 in the late 1600s um and this is you know Agnes she is married um to a playwright um and 
is very protective of her son and you know that's and then like the parents worst nightmare happens and um her son dies hamnet and then his father turns this grief into a play which you may have heard of <laughs> called hamlet <laughs> I mean, this, so this is like a fictional account. I mean, this actually happened, right? Like Hamnet, mm-hmm. Shakespeare's son was named Hamnet. Hamnet died. Shakespeare writes Hamlet. Um, and this is just sort of like a, a, a fictionalized version um, from, you know, a very talented and, and skilled writer. This also came as part of a, a literati box. And this, is, this has been on my TBR for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was, I was excited when it, I'm like, oh, look, it's a copy. <laughs> Uh, it's got Deckled's edges as well, which is delightful. <laughs> uh, also, yeah. the this title Hamnet makes me think of there is a Broadway musical called Something Rotten. Have you ever seen Something Rotten? I have not, but I'm familiar with it. <laughs> so Something Rotten takes place in the time of Shakespeare, and it's a comedic play. Or it's a, com- a comedic uh, musical about another playwright during that time, and in <laughs> in Something Rotten the but the like the idea is that Shakespeare is kind of a jerk he's like a rock star guy who just steals everyone else's work I mean might exactly but (laughs) the thing that Hamnet reminds me of is the main character goes through this like he has this like fever dream of a song that he like kind of meets this muse and this muse ends up telling him that he has to write this play called Omelet and (laughs) it they do this whole song called it's a musical and it's delightful and so they end up working on this musical called omelet and so anytime i see hamnet even though i know what it's about i'm still like it reminds me of omelet and makes me want to re-listen to something rotten so oh it's that's apropos nothing like yeah i don't know what it is about hamlet though it's just you know you it, it does it has these sort of like something rotten there's the play Rosencrantz and Gilderstern are dead there's just like something about it that creates these kind of offshoots that I don't really see with any other Shakespeare play that I'm aware of Uh, you know I don't mean retellings I mean Mm. you know specifically like um it's like they use it as a jumping off point yeah to tell like a different story kind of but in that Mm -hmm. same world and I don't I don't really see that with uh, any of his other yeah okay. which he may or may not have written which he may or may not have written <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying anything I'm just yeah not not saying anything exactly that's right <laughs> um all right my next one is the nature of witches by Rachel Griffin which which just came out beginning of June uh it's a source books book and I came in one of the boxes that they sent us like months ago and um so as, as we talked about, by the time you guys read this, it's July 1st, which is basically fall. So again, I'm not going to even apologize for having The Nature of Witches and a book about the Salem Witch Trials and like two horror books in my list here. Um, for centuries, witches have maintained the climate, but now their control is faltering as the atmosphere becomes more erratic, the storms more destructive. All hope lies with Clara, a once-in-a-generation ever-witch whose magic is tied to every season. In autumn, Clara wants nothing to do with her power. It's wild and volatile, and the price of her magic, losing the ones she loves, is too high despite the need to control the increasingly dangerous weather. In winter, uh, the world is on the precipice of disaster. Fire burns, storms rage, and Clara accepts that she's the only one who can make a difference. In fall, she or in spring, she falls for Sang, the witch training her. 
And in summer, Clara uh, must choose between her power and her happiness, her duty and the people that she loves. I said Clara and Clara every other time there. I don't know how it's pronounced, but I realized <laughs> I went back and forth. Be either way, be either way. Yeah. Um, it's also described as perfect for fans of Taylor Swift's folklore, which I think is pretty funny. Oh. You don't normally see books this Okay. I mean, I buy it. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me. Um, it's a very autumnal cover as well. It's a uh, like a ginger haired female who's doing the like classic female, like shake your head up in the sky so all of your hair is in the air. And there's like lots of, um, autumnal leaves around it i'm not trying to be a stereotype like stereotypical like i just i don't know that i've seen many guys do like the really fun like shake your hair back and take a picture of it where it's like all i'm doing a poor job describing this but it's I've a little seen... mermaid thing yeah yeah the I little mermaid thing thank you you're just <laughs> you could have left me hanging out the dry there and you didn't so thank you <laughs> i think exactly what you were talking about please Jill's making her face <laughs> as if why didn't you just call the little mermaid thing <laughs> It's the little Murray thing. Um, my last book is Yoke by Jessamine Stanley. I love Jessamine Stanley. She's been on the podcast. Um, and her new book is, um, well, it takes its title from Sanskrit, where yoga means to yoke, to yoke mind and body, movement and breath, light and dark, the good and the bad. The larger idea of yoke is what Jessamine calls the yoga of the everyday, yoga that is not just about perfecting your downward dog, but about applying the hard lessons learned on the mat to the even harder daily project of living, which is difficult. <laughs> like if you do yoga, this is like as an aside, if you practice yoga, you know, one of the things always about like taking your practice off the mat, it's, it's challenging. It's about as challenging as corpse pose. Like everyone's like, that's the hardest pose. And you're like, it's at the very end. You're just lying there trying to steal your mind. Oh, I see. Okay. So <laughs> uh, sorry. Oh, oh, I get it. <laughs> You're like, oh, I see why they say this is hard. Okay. My brain doesn't shut up. Um, in a series of deeply honest, funny, and autobiographical essays, Jessamine explores everything from imposter syndrome to cannabis to why it's full-time job loving yourself all through the lens of yoke. She calls out American yoga complex that prefers debating the merits of cotton versus poly blend leggings rather than owning up to its overwhelming whiteness. Accurate. Mm -hmm. She questions why the Western take on yoga so often misses or misuses the tradition's spiritual dimension. Also accurate and reveals what she calls her own whole ass problematic, including loving astrology, listening, learning to meditate, finding prana and music. And in the end, Jessamine invites every reader to find the authentic spirit of yoke, linking that good and the bad, that light and the dark. Oh man, I was crying. I was laughing. So no, much. I mean, no, like she's, she's talked about this. And I think when yeah. I interviewed her, we talked about this as well as how yoga is very, very white and mm -hmm. Western yoga, uh, co-opted a lot of the sort of the Eastern traditions. They, they sort of like co-opted some of the Eastern traditions mm -hmm. and not all of the Eastern traditions. And so Western yoga can look very different from traditional yoga and um, how there's a lot of like appropriation and it's, it's, it's hundred percent accurate. So I'm really excited for this one. Um, I pre-ordered it and it arrived um, uh, 
this week, last week, I forget when it came out. I think I saw you do a post about it. Yes. I think it came out last week and then I'd gotten pre-order bonuses, which included a tote bag called that's just says messy bitch. And I'm like, I have to frame this, (laughs) man. Oh, that's fantastic. I would sign up for those pre-order bonuses, you know, Mm -hmm. always get on those pre-order bonuses people. Yeah. Hey, Mallory, are those pre-order bonuses <laughs> that I get? Because I have already pre-ordered your book several times. There you go. Oh, man. Okay, my last one is The Way Back by Gabriel Savit. Um, this was a National Book Award finalist. Uh, so it says perfect for readers of Neil Gaiman and Philip Pullman. Like, sometimes I just don't know how I haven't read a book yet. It blows my mind. And this is very much one of those. So for Jews of Eastern Europe, <clears throat> demons are everywhere, dancing on the rooftops in the darkness of midnight, congregating in the trees, harrowing the dead, even reaching out to try and steal away the living. But the demons have a land of their own, a far country peopled with the souls of the transient dead, governed by demonic dukes, barons, and earls. When the angel of death comes strolling through the little shell of Tupic one night, two young people will be sent spinning off on a journey through the far country. There, they will make pacts with ancient demons, declare war on death himself, and maybe, just maybe, find a way back to make it alive. Drawing inspiration from Jewish folk tradition, The Way Back is a dark adventure sure to captivate readers of Neil Gaiman's The Graveyard Book and Philip Pullman's The Book of Dust. I'm just, I'm not mad that I haven't read this. I'm just disappointed (laughs) in myself. I mean, so, there's a lot of books out there. There's so many. I don't know if, everyone, if anyone's aware of what Jill's saying, but there are so many books out there. So that's The Way Back by Gabriel Savit. And those are our TBRs for now, which will grow. Um, and hopefully yours have as well. Um, are there things that we missed? I feel like we covered everything in the beginning. Uh, no, I think that's everything. Awesome. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.